Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Secret Birds podcast. And today we have a very special guest, Elaine Slatter, based in Canada. Hello, Elaine. Hi, Joanne. How are you today? I'm doing very well, thanks. And you? Great, great. Thank, Thank you, you for having me on your show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for joining us and giving us some of your time today. So Elaine today is going to be sharing with us what it's like to move from a high-flying corporate CEO to an entrepreneur. So Elaine, firstly, to kick off, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, we all know you're based in Canada and that you are the founder of the Fabulous Entrepreneurship Community. But tell us a bit more about yourself and, and who you are. Okay, Joanne. Well, a long time ago, I was born in the UK yes. on the south coast of, the, of Britain in a town called Bournemouth, which had a thousand hotels and was a resort town. That's where I grew up. That's where I went to high school. That's where I went to college. And then after I left college, um, I went to live in France for a year. And then when I got back to the UK, it was time to get a job. So my very first job was working for Ferrari in the UK. And with my French um, experience, I was able to do all the translations for the parts list going to the Le Mans 24-hour race and that kind of stuff, because that's what Ferrari did at that time. Ferrari, exciting. Yeah, Ferrari. So... <laughs> Um, we took orders for the cars and that was my job was place the orders uh, with Ferrari in the UK. So that was my first corporate experience. And then, um, you know, you're young and uh, friends suggested that I knew in France suggested that, hey, why don't you come to Canada? And that sounded like, like an adventure and Canada needed immigrants. So off I went to Canada. So it didn't take long to get a job, about a week. And um, I was uh, working for the sales department in a steel company because the area of Canada that I live in was a great big uh, industrial steel town, very much like Pittsburgh is in the United States. Right. So I worked there for a while and I was very, very bored. <laughs> and I, I was typing MBA uh, course material for um, one of my bosses. And he said, you know, you're always asking me marketing questions. Why don't you go uh, to university? And I said, well, you know, I don't think I can because I, I don't have uh, the high school entrance. Uh, it's not the same as it is in the UK, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, well, you don't need that if you're an adult. You can go as an adult student. So to cut short, I went to university, um, married, had kids, going to uh, university part-time. And then when I finished um, my bachelor's degree, I went to work in uh, close to my home in another male-dominated industry, the welding industry. So that's where I started, and I stayed there for over 20 six years and I had I think uh, a year and a half where I went off to a carpet company but then I went back to the welding company so started at the bottom you know um, just you know secretarial admin that kind of stuff bored to tears and then an opening happened to come up in marketing so I just leapt into the marketing job and loved it so then I went back to college part-time 
So now I had a full-time job, two children, husband, family, house, all that stuff. So Elaine, but, are you are you saying when you did your, your bachelor's degree, you were already married then and you were doing it part-time and you had two kids? Yes. Exactly. Because okay, that's that's important for people to know. And this is for you for you. You were coming from the UK where obviously you would have had, I guess, A levels at the time. Would you have had your A levels then? And um, No, I actually had my O levels. Your O levels. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So and then I went to college for business for two years, to the local Bournemouth College for two ah, years and took okay. business. So you you then you literally started from the ground up. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. And it sounds and, you like know, you worked. It, it sounds it's like you determination worked. Determination that makes you like determination that you decide that you want something else, and that you are so determined to get there, you'll do anything to do it. And it that sounds like mindset. it sounds like you worked in. You always worked in uh, in in industry like male dominated industries. Yeah. Except the carpet industry. Well, that was like a female product, but that was male dominated too, to be honest. <laughs> they're, they're mostly men in the management. Well, they were all men in the management of the carpet company. And I was the only female who was in the management group there. Okay. Okay. So then you went back to school again, you said, to do another degree, was it? Was it a master's this time? No, I didn't take my master's, but I got my... Um, certification in marketing specialist um, okay. at the college level again so i had two college diplomas and one university uh, bachelor's okay okay and then from there on it was just experience like working your way up um making sure that you are on teams that were doing exciting things like some of the things that we did were um taking the international customer service department from the US and moving it to Canada, which meant doing the whole IT conversion, hiring all the staff. You know, um, some of them had to speak Portuguese, some of them had to speak Spanish or Urdu or whatever it was, you know. And uh, we had a department of seven or eight people in Canada that filled all the international orders in all the different time zones. Oh, wow. So that was one of the major projects that I worked on. And then a lot of IT conversions, uh, which you wouldn't think a marketing person would be doing, but um, a lot of what you're doing is customer service work, uh, pricing schedules for the marketing of the product and all that kind of stuff, as well as doing all the product launches as well. So Elaine, okay, so take us through your career progression. So you started as a secretary and then yeah. where did you go next? Just walk us through from, you know, like you said, from the bottom, quote unquote, as a secretary, right up to the top. What was, what, what roles did you work in and, and how, how did that kind of flow? So from um, the secretarial pool, it was marketing coordinator. From marketing coordinator, it meant leaving that job and going to the carpet industry so that I could be a marketing supervisor because I wasn't getting the recognition for the work that I was doing. So I left, became a marketing supervisor, and then got hired back by the company that didn't think I was should be the supervisor to become their marketing manager. 
So sometimes you have to leave. Mm-hmm. And as long as you leave on good terms, um, you know, a couple of years later, I went back to the same company, doubled my salary and went back as the manager. And then from there went into the international division and ran the whole customer service, then hopped back into the Canadian division, ran their customer service and their marketing. Uh, Then I ran their marketing only. And then after that, um, became the CEO. Fantastic. And how many years total did that take? Well, a lot longer then than it would probably today. So that took me 26 years to get from the bottom to the top. My goodness. And you raised children, your two children, and you were married. Mm-hmm. And I believe you also had some entrepreneurial ventures on the side, didn't you, whilst you were doing that? Yes. Um, my husband had uh, left his company. Well, he got downsized and decided to have a franchise in a coffee and donut store in a different town about an hour away. Mm. So he ran that for 10, uh, at least 10 years. And I just was like a sounding board for him. And I did the uh, bookkeeping for him for that business. And that, that was a pretty, he had a staff of about uh, 15 people because it was a 365-day-a-year business and um, open 24 hours a day. So he had to have a, a large uh, part-time staff to handle that. Sure. And then very sadly, he passed away. And uh, so my, my, I had a daughter who was um, at least three hours away. She wasn't interested in that business. My son was just finishing university, so he wasn't interested in running that business. And so here I was um, with a business that I couldn't just let go. I had 15 people to take care of, you know, and, um, you know, if you shut the doors, you don't get anything for your business. So I uh, had my full-time job at the time. I was just, I was the marketing manager. And then in the evenings and on the weekends, I ran my husband's business. And then uh, it took me uh, three years to train somebody to take it over and to purchase it from me. And then I exited after I sold the business. So that was my first entrepreneurial adventure. (laughs) Yeah. And and that's very sad that your husband passed away. And... um, you had to sort of immediately jump in and and grab the reins and and take things over yeah it it was hard at the time yeah but in a way um focusing on something uh like that i mean everybody grieves differently but for me focusing on something uh two jobs at once was a way to um get over the grief i guess because while i was working i wasn't I wasn't grieving. So I would grieve on the way to work and on the way home. But during uh, the working hours, I was able to focus totally on what I was doing because otherwise it would be too overwhelming. Like I had to focus. That's how I got through the day. Absolutely. for For both those jobs, just focus on what you're doing one thing at a time and then you get through it. 
Absolutely. And like you said, people grieve in different ways. I mean, for some people, it's, it's throwing themselves into something and working their way through it like you did. And for others, it's, it's being, becoming a, a complete recluse. Um, yes. you know, everyone deals with it differently, but on the positive side, that was your first, um, entrepreneurial kind of bug. But I should say that because you also come from an entrepreneurial family. You can you, uh, share with us your background in the UK? I know your father had, uh, quite a successful and still has a successful business, right? A family business. Well, the family doesn't own it anymore, but, mm -hmm. um, at the time it's an Indian company that owns it at the our present time. <clears throat> the oh, family okay. actually is completely out of it. But my mm -hmm. dad um, definitely was an entrepreneur. He left school when he was 14. Wow. He worked in a, a grocery store. Okay. And uh, he, the, the grocery store um, would give the, the customers their tea in packets and they would mix the tea, you know, in the store. Right. And uh, so that's what my dad did. And he got to really like mixing and tasting the teas. So uh, eventually he left and started his own company in his mother's house. And he peddled his mixed teas around the neighborhood and sold them. And then um, he left for the Second World War. Mm. And he almost lost his company. Mm. Um, my mother wasn't working. She was a newlywed, pregnant. and. So somebody helped him keep the company together until he got back from the war. And then he grew it from there and he had a factory. <clears throat> and then he um, went into coffee as well. And uh, they were um, a third party packager for Asda, which is part of the Walmart chain. So they had over a hundred employees and, and they, uh, they had their own brands that they sold in Sainsbury's and Tesco and that kind of thing, as well as private labeling it for uh, Walmart as the brand. So entrepreneurship is in your blood. It's a part of who you are. Yeah. So, yes. I'm, yes. I guess it was. I didn't think it was, but I, I think it is. And, you, and grew up, mind, you grew up seeing that. You grew up seeing that. Yes. And I think, and, and I'm yes. sure you would agree, when you grew up as a child, seeing whether it's a grew up in the family business or seeing one of your parents grow a business from scratch or a relative or whatnot, I think a piece of that is embedded in you and you get, you get a certain kind of work ethic and you also get, you get a view of the world in a different way because most people are employed and you see your family or your parents or whomever building this business and employing other people. And I think it gives you a different view of, of the world because most of us are taught to go to school and just get a good job. So I think it puts that little thing in you. It ignites that little flame that shows you that there, there's other possibilities out there. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I totally agree because you could see, even as a kid, I could see the ups and downs that, uh, and you know, the talk that my father did and the hard work, like, in those days, they were working six days a week. And when he got home at night and after he'd had supper, he was still reading stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, he was either reading financial statements or um, tea industry uh, data or magazines or whatever, or taking phone calls. And in the house, you know, the salespeople, if they were out-of-town salespeople, like, for example, on the Isle of Wight, 
if they came over for a meeting, they'd stay at the house. And so you were constantly surrounded by it. And when my brother and I were kids, when we were probably around 13, we used to work uh, summers at my father's factory. And we had um, the menial tasks of packing the tea, wearing a, a mask, because there's a lot of tea dust in the tea department. I worked in the tea department. My brother... My older brother worked in the coffee department and um, and then eventually I worked in the coffee department too. And, you know, so you get to see the, the nuts and bolts of a business and how hard it is to start an entrepreneur venture and, you know, the financial risks and so on. And yet, you know, my dad would plow through that all and just keep going and keep going and keep going and growing, getting bigger and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I really admire my dad for, for doing that, starting so young. And and he didn't retire until he was 75. And he, and he probably started his own business when he was probably 20. Right. And then your brother um, took over the business. And then it sounds like he recently sold it to uh, a, a, another family. Is that right? Well, actually, my brother only, after my father, um, a European company purchased it from my father and then oh. my brother worked in in it for uh, only about three years so my brother that was quite a while ago that it was sold and then after the European it kept the family name for uh, all the time uh, my family's name it was called Keith Spicers mm -hmm. and they kept that name right up until probably two or three years ago and then they dropped the Keith out of it and it became Spicers and that's when um, the Indian company purchased it from the European company. So it's still privately held, still large. Um, their, their brand is Dorset Tea. That's their big thing. I think they've dropped the coffee since and they've concentrated on um, Dorset Tea. But, you know, in, in the life of a company, it morphs into all different directions. And that's what that company has done. It went from... When my father sold it, uh, the European company wanted to move it into the fruit teas, you know, the peach tea, the chamomile teas and all that kind of stuff. But that didn't really suit the UK market as much. And, and they've gone more back to their roots of, you know, good old English tea. And mm. uh, so that's what it's changed into. But they have, I think, 30,000 likes on their Facebook page. Fantastic. So it's very, very popular in the UK. But your dad, and, and I know we have to get back to your career progression, but your dad sold the company. Do you think that was bittersweet for him? Uh, yes, I think it definitely was. It was his baby. Um, and then, you know, the purchaser does whatever they want with it. So I think it was hard for him to see it slip out of the family hands but it is what it is right and uh, everybody moved on because it's one of those things whereby you've got to have family in it and working in it and be willing to commit to it or you sell it you know it's kind and a lot yes. of a lot of businesses end up being sold just because sometimes there aren't any kids or any grandkids or nieces or nephews to take it over or maybe there isn't an interest or maybe the owner just he's he wants to move he or she wants to move on to something else there's so many different reasons why you'd want absolutely to yeah yeah but that's great thanks so much for 
getting a bit more into detail with that. So let's get back now to the career progression. So you, you worked your way to the top. You said it took you some 20 odd years. So at what point did you decide it's time to become an entrepreneur? How did that happen? Was it a light bulb moment where you, you know, there's always a story behind the show. Yeah, there's so always a story. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's, that's the part that I love the most. I like hearing the story behind the story because it's usually really good. It's really juicy. <laughs> yeah, well, this company was the same kind of thing. It was a, a public company, then it became a private company, then it was taken over by venture capitalists. And when it was taken over by the venture capital group, what they want to do with the company is buy it cheap, um, take it private, keep it for maximum five years, and then spin it off. So by the time I got to that level, that's what happened. Shortly after I became the CEO, it was taken over by the venture capital group. And you could see that it was just getting spruced up to be sold off. So once you're in that kind of mode in a, in a corporation, uh, you're not growing. You're kind of like, you know, you're in the trim stage. The, you know, so that's what a lot of what I did is downsizing people and, and um, right-sizing people and giving out packages. And, and there wasn't the life in the company. You could see it sort of just growing into itself because that's the mode they were in because they wanted to clean it up, uh, cost cut, and then sell it for a profit. So that's when I knew it was time to move on because as you know, it's not very exciting and you know there aren't going to be any new projects and it was quite demoralizing to have to package off people that you've worked with for so long you know because their jobs are going away the international division was moved back to the united states so there were eight jobs gone right out the door a lot of the operations that were in Canada were moved back to the States as well. The company, I took the company through um, a change of the financial status. So it wasn't a full subsidiary, any, subsidiary anymore. It became an arm's length third party, which saved the, the, you know, the corporation, the U.S. Corp, uh, millions of dollars by changing the Canadian operation into that. So once you've sucked the lifeblood out of an organization, mm. you realize that um, that's, you know, not the same company that you enjoyed working with. I still enjoyed working with the people. I'm still friends today with people that I work with back, way back when, you know, American and Canadians. Um, but that was it. You could see the end in sight that somebody was going to purchase the company and then who knows what the future would be. So I thought, you know, here, here's the time to exit is, you know, when, when that was all happening. Did you have a plan where you, was it just, okay, exit, uh, sort of an early retirement and then figure it out later? Or what, what were you thinking? Did you, was it, was it, was there a strategy in place or did you just do it on a whim? No, that was the strategy, take the early retirement. I was looking for my own package. After packaging, I don't know how many people off, probably at least, oh, I don't know, 15 people. I thought, hey, well, I'll just hang in there and get a package. But, of course, my package never came. 
So uh, I had to make the decision. Let me. Uh, so I decided. You know, that company had been really good to me. I'd had this great position. I'd saved my money. Um, let me take an early retirement. So that's what I did. But you know, I had planned to start a consulting company. But you know, you learn um, from, as you say, there's always a story behind what you're doing. And if I had to do it over, I think I would have done it differently. Really? What would you have done differently? Well, I was in a B2B environment, right? Mm -hmm. And when you're segueing in a very specific industry, a very specific industry that is very tight knit and nobody knows anything about you outside of your own industry, like the welding industry, very small industry. Um, there's probably four or five major players in that industry that are manufacturers of welding equipment. That's about it around the world. Um, so you only know people in your own industry. So when you want to start another business, like I did, a consulting business, there wasn't going to be consulting in the welding industry because that just wasn't, there was no uh, market for that. So I wanted to do consulting in a, you know, general consulting for small business. But that wasn't the wheelhouse that I was in. That was the experience I had, but that's not where my, customers I would find them were not in the welding industry so if I had to do it again I would have done a side hustle I would have actually started my company probably four or five years before that and tested things uh, out and found my markets that way before I launched into it completely um, the way I did because um, it takes a long time to find your markets. And, um, you know, in my case, I was fine financially, but, you know, people think that, okay, you open the doors and, and they're all your customers, but they're not. You, you have to work hard to find your customers. Absolutely. And um, it takes a lot of time to do that. A lot of networking, a lot of conversations, a lot of tools that you have to develop and so on and so forth and um, partnerships that you have to make. And so if looking back on it, I would have done a side hustle. I was already doing a side hustle before I sold the other company and I should have realized that that would have been the way to do it, but you learn. You know, I, know, I never look at anything as failure. Like people say, oh, they started this and then they started that and oh, they must have did that fail or that fail. But if you look at, people like um, Branson or even Steve Jobs, like they went through a lot of stuff before they found their success. So, you know, for anyone that's fearful, you, you just have to push through it and you have to keep trying things and eventually something will take. And yes. it's a lot of experimentation. You can write all the business plans you want, which I, I do de definitely recommend that you do do that so that you have an idea of the scope of what, income you need and and you know what your profits will be such and such you need to do that planning for one you won't get a loan unless you do a business plan if you need to borrow money but aside from that you know um it is experimentation you have to try different things and push through the fear of of uh 
maybe not knowing quite what you're doing to just um, and, and surround yourself by great people that will have your back while you're working through it. You know, if you, if you build the right network of people, you'll find your way eventually because um, my advice is you can't be an entrepreneur on your own. I remember my dad, he had an advisory board and I think that's a great idea. Um, somebody that taught to us at um, the Djibout School of Business at the Master University, my local university, just uh, just recently, it was Kirsten Stewart who was the vice president of Twitter Canada. She said, "In your career, you need an advisor, a mentor, and a sponsor." And that's the that's one thing that she said in her talk that I remember this is just you know earlier this year that I heard that and I thought some I reflected on that and I thought you know what she's absolutely right you do need that you need and an entrepreneur needs that they need you need an advisory board you need business people that you look up to to help you brainstorm your ideas you need um, a mentor to work with you to get through any difficulties you have and help you with specific stuff and you need a sponsor that's somebody that thinks what you're doing is great and will spread the word about what you're doing and help you uh, with that trust factor so that people will hire you i really recommend that for any entrepreneur and like you said, um, success and failure, they, they go together. I think um, a lot of people, because entrepreneurship is all the rage now. Everyone's into it. Everyone's doing it. Everyone's t talking mm -hmm. about it. But um, it's important to know that you can't, have, you can't have one without the other. You're going to have, it, it's going to ebb and flow. It, there's going to be highs yes. and lows. And a lot of the successful people that we see now, it took them 10, 15, 20 years to get to where they are now. It didn't happen overnight. Um, That's exactly true. That's exactly yeah. true. And something I always tell my mentees is don't rush. I think there's a rush. There's a rush to do everything now. There's a rush to feel like you, you have to do this and you have to do that. And I think mm -hmm. there, there's this culture of, bigger better go big go home slay 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 and that's all great and motivational but in in the reality it doesn't work that way um it just doesn't you know nothing hap nothing good nothing sustainable is going to happen overnight you have to take your time you've got to progress naturally sometimes you have to take a step back and just you know walk away from things for a while and 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 make a shift i mean things are going to happen and just mm -hmm. just as much as you're going to have success you're going to have failures failures and that's just that's just the way it is and i guess depending yes. on the culture you come from some cultures congratulate failure and some cultures look down on failure so I guess, depending on your background, you may feel the need to succeed right away and do everything really well because that's the culture that you're coming from where you feel like you're mm -hmm. successful. But that's just not how business works. Everyone knows that, you know? I know. I think the problem is that people rush, as you say, rush into it, and then they can get themselves in a financial jam very quickly. I've seen that happen you know, where people don't have the financial cushion behind them for that first couple of years. So that they're either starving and close their business because they just can't 
you know, they're ripping through the cash and then they exit by closing the business and then they have a huge debt or, um, you know, they, they have to close it while they make some money before they can open it again, you know, so you, you really have to work through that part. Like how are you going to financially survive that first few years? Like, have you got that money set aside and are you, um, can you sustain yourself? What are you going to do? You get, can you sustain the lifestyle that you have or do you need to downsize? What do you need to do to get through the financial part of it? And like you said earlier, start. sometimes you've got to start it off as a side hustle because unless you've mm-hmm. got someone to support you financially, a husband, um, parents, um, whomever, alone, whatever, whatever works for you, you're not going to be able to do it full-time initially. You've got to start somewhere and most people start off doing it on the side and uh-huh. then they get into it gradually full-time or they they get into another career whilst they're doing it but no one ever really jumps into it full-time right uh, right from the outset unless they've got this really incredible product that everyone every investor wants to get into and that's really less than one percent of the population <laughs> you know yeah that's right For, so, in in canada we are a little bit fortunate in that um, there are some really great incubators, and if you if you get into an incubator, they often um, part of being in the incubator is being able to pitch to investors. So you know you have more access to capital perhaps that way. You know, and some of those are in the form of grants. So that helps some companies in Hamilton because I'm a, a mentor for one of the incubators in Hamilton. And some of those companies in there might be have been going for five years, but they've been able to secure large grants to help them through those very early years so that they can pay at least themselves and a couple of other people to, um, you know, contractors or whatever to get themselves off the ground. Sure. Exactly. I know Canada, there's a lot of entrepreneurial activity in Canada. I read about it all the time. I share posts about Canada all the time on LinkedIn and just with different people generally. Canada is a, is a hub of entrepreneurial activity and there's a lot of support there for women, a lot. Yes, I think we're getting up there in the support of women, but it's mostly women that have pushed the women's agenda. Right. And so um, that's why you're seeing more women-led incubators and workspaces and that kind of stuff. And I think that's tremendous. Um, actually, Canada is a very good corporate structure too for women. Mm. I think better than many other countries because um, women do advance in this country up the management pole, I think, quicker than in other countries, including the U.S., Yeah, there's definitely a culture, which we can have a whole separate conversation about that exists in in Canada that around work and just lifestyle generally that doesn't exist in a lot of um, other industrialized nations. That would make for a good podcast another time. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I think it would. It would be it would be great to have a panel to discuss the differences between the different countries like, say, Europe and Africa and the UK and India and U.S. and Canada, like yes, we all yeah. have different cultures. And what is it like for women in these different cultures to start a business? What kind of support do they have or, or don't they have, you know? Yes, 
that's a great idea and we'll work on it so we can tell the audience to listen out for it. But what I would like to talk about now is more about the shift. So we, we know your background. We know that you worked your way to the top. You started this business. Uh, you said you would have done it differently, et cetera, et cetera. But the shift, what was perhaps, I mean, if you had to select one thing, what was the biggest shift or the most, the, the most challenging thing you had to deal with? Because what a lot of people don't understand is that working for someone or working in a company is extremely different to working for yourself and building a business from scratch. It's a complete 360. And I think a lot of people aren't always prepared for that and don't really understand the difference. I mean, someone like yourself coming from an entrepreneurial background, it's a bit different, but not everyone is fortunate to come from a, an entrepreneurial background. And some people are just doing it going, you know, as they go and they, they don't really understand that it is very different. Like for example, when you're working in a business, you've got resources available to you. You don't really, when you work your way up to the top, you're not really doing a lot for yourself. You've got people supporting you. You don't have to do your own marketing. You know, you're taken care of in this company. But when, uh -huh. you, when you move to your own business, you are a one-woman show for a very long time and you're doing everything from scratch. So that's just one example. But if you could tell us maybe what, was the, that, sh what that shift was like for you and what was one of the biggest challenges or hurdles that you had to overcome. Well, the biggest hurdle was um finding the market for the new business because it would it was totally different than the market that i was marketing for and and the ceo of so that was the challenge because it wasn't the market that i was used to so it's taking my product and then you know the consulting and the web design and social media and all that stuff and coaching and finding what kind of clients that fit best. And then I realized about a year into it that most of my clients were women. So then that meant I had to network more in women's groups to find you know, the target audience. And then I discovered that the people that needed me the most were the ones that were starting businesses. Mm. Yes. Right. The, the, the entrepreneurs who didn't know how to do the business side of it. They didn't know how to, whether they should be a corporation or whether they should be a sol solopreneur and, and how, and how do you read financial statements and what does that all mean and that kind of stuff. And, and how do I market, you know, so that became my market was, um, finding a way to reach women and having come from the welding industry, which is all male dominated male customers, it was a real shift to be working with women. I mean, I was working with women in the corporate, but it's a different role. As you mentioned, it's a different role as, as being leading a team or being part of a team that maybe 40% uh, were women and 60% were men because men and women do not do uh, business the same way at all. Not right. at all. Yes. So I think that was my biggest shock because working with men, I knew how men did business, but then when you find out that your client base is mostly women and you're not used to, to women uh, yeah. working with women or having women as customers because all my customers in the welding industry were men. Yeah. You know, so that was a real shift. So 
uh, although you might think, oh yeah, you know, she had all these skills and uh, it would be easy to do that. It really wasn't easy because my customer base, I didn't understand as well because I worked with a completely different customer base for so long. And that's actually something I'd like to explore in a podcast as well, or even on one of our panels, um, how women, women and men doing business differently. I remember being on a panel in London where we talked about women and conscious business, and this was the exact topic. Do men and women do business and how do they do it differently? And like you said, serving women um, or offering a service to women is very different to offering a service to men. And anyone who's ever sold products to women knows that. <laughs> without mm-hmm. a shadow of a doubt, there is a difference. And working in an entrepreneurial environment with all women is very different to working in a corporate environment with all men. It's, it's, it's like night and day. And that, Absolutely. that poses its own unique challenges and opportunities as well. And I think that's, yes. that's a conversation that I, I would like to see more of in the female entrepreneurial space. Because I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of like empowerment and yeah, let's all do it together. But it would be nice to hear about what is it like to, um, to sell to women? What, what is that like and how does that work? Because you cannot sell to a woman the same way that you, you sell to a man. No, absolutely not. It, it just can't. It doesn't. It doesn't work that way. And we can go into all the different reasons as to why, but we know it doesn't work that way. But that's that's also a separate conversation. So that was your biggest challenge. So now mm-hmm. fast forward, and you've got Excel Consulting, which is um, well. I'll let you tell us about that, and then you can tell us about the Fab Fempreneur community that you created, as well as your books and just all the amazing things you're doing now because you decided to to take that leap and become an entrepreneur and all the doors that have opened for you since then. Well, thank you. Yes, that, that is exactly how it happened. Um, you know, finding that the female um, was going, you know, women were going to be uh, the, the majority of my business rather than men. That led me to think about, um, you know, what services I could offer um, how I could do it, and and so I developed um, my mentorship program, which I mentor a lot of women. I would say ninety percent of them are women, and they and they are startups. And then from that, you know, the web design um, was a natural out out for me because uh, natural product. Um, segment to me because I was in marketing anyway in my corporate career and always had an interest in the technical side of IT doing all these IT conversions so I have um, partnered up with an ex-Microsoft programmer and so the two of us do the web design I do perhaps more the, the, the web design part and then if it's e-commerce, you know, harder e-commerce kind of products, then he does uh, that, that side of it. So it makes a natural uh, partnership. We've known each other for a long time, so it's an easy relationship and it works really well. So that's how I was able to develop that side of the business. So, um, yeah, uh, it's been quite exciting to do that. And the way that Fabulous Fempreneurship started, it's while I was doing, you know, the coaching and mentoring and that part of the consulting business, I realized how many women were asking me the same questions. And, 
and how many doubts they had about starting their own business and the fears and the doubts and how do I do this and how do I do that? And I thought, you know what? Guys wouldn't ask those questions. They just dive in at the deep end and then they figure it out later. But women are, as we just mentioned, they don't do it the same way. So mm. that's why I wrote the book. And, um, and then once I wrote the book, I realized that uh, that opened up so many different doors for speaking engagements and moving into different um, women's groups and giving workshops. And it just one thing led to another, but the catalyst of the whole thing was writing the book. I can't recommend that enough for people that are in the consulting field to, to write a book because it helps with the credibility, the like and trust factor. Um, you get booked more for speaking engagements because you have a book. Um, you know, I was at a local chamber of commerce meeting just last month and um, people were saying to me, well, that, that lady over there wants to speak to you. So I went over and spoke to the lady and she said, you know, I've been hunting you down all morning. I've been actually stalking you. I want to know more about the book. You know, because when you were introducing ourselves, you know, I just mentioned that I authored the book and showed them the book and on we go. You know, you have 30 second intro, but it's the book that people remember. Absolutely. It's your, you know, it's your show and tell, just like kindergarten. You show them the book and everybody wants the book. But if they don't want the book, they still want to talk to you. So it's a huge segue for any consultant to have a book. And it opens the, up so many doors. And it, it gives a bit of legitimacy, wouldn't you say? Like, I've written a book, you know, I'm a thought yes. leader. I, I can write, I can speak, I'm an authority mm -hmm. on something. And um, mm -hmm. I think so many female entrepreneurs are have already written books or are writing books. And, you know, entrepreneurship is, it's not like what it used to be. It's not just build a business. It's also become a thought leader. It's also become a thinker and a speaker and write books about your topics and then develop those mm -hmm. books into courses and lectures. Mm -hmm. and so it's this very dynamic time that we're operating in where it's not just about building a business. You know, you've got to really put yourself out there in different ways because those are the different channels that you use to attract more people to your business. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because getting putting yourself out there like that isn't something that everybody's used to. If you've had a corporate job, you're putting yourself out there, but in a different way, totally yes. different way, unless you're in the sales department. And you're doing it for your company, not for yourself. Yes, yes. So getting yourself out there and pitching, well, not pitch, I shouldn't say pitching because it isn't pitching, but um, to be talking about yourself, about your company, about your journey, about anything is so much more personal when you're an entrepreneur than it is when you're in a corporation. Because when you're in a corporation, it's not about you at all. Nobody, nobody cares about your journey when you're in a corporate job. You're just doing your job. You're part of a team and that's it. When you're an entrepreneur, everyone wants to know your story. That's more important. Your story is more important almost than your product. And yeah. that's why a book is so helpful for that. And, um, you know, then that leads into the speaking engagements and so on and so forth. And I don't think you have to be 
an outgoing person because I'm definitely not an outgoing person. I'm an introvert by nature, not an extrovert. But even introverts can become a speaker, become a writer. You can do all that. You, you just, it's just stepping out of your comfort zone one step at a time and, and doing it, pushing yourself just like you've done yourself. You yeah. know, pushing yourself to go to India to um, be a part of that community, to building your secret birds. It, it's no different for anybody, no matter how old they are, how young they are. It's a similar thing, and you take one step at a time. And you have to be willing to pivot. Um, pivot means you move to the right, you move to the center, you move to the left. You, you gradually shift until you find what is the sweet spot for you and your business. And it's different again for everybody. Absolutely. And you have to be willing to put yourself out there. You, um, yes. like you said, you know, being an in, you know, being an introvert is, um, it's one of those things because people believe, Oh, well, you can't be an introvert and be an entrepreneur, but you absolutely can, you know, introverted people mm -hmm. get their energy from when they're by themselves they think mm -hmm. and they and they function much better on their own, whereas extroverted people tend to get their energy from the outside. But it, it has nothing to do with the ability to build or scale a business. It's just right. where you get different energies from and how and interacting differently with people. And I think there's definitely some introverted skills that are very helpful to building a business because you're probably a yes. very good listener, a very good mm -hmm. speaker. You analyze in a different way. You use a, 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 you know, different aspects of your creativity. But ultimately, you have to put some of yourself out there because like, like we said earlier, building a business is less about selling a product these days and it's more about what is your story, who are you, mm -hmm. and why and where did this come from. People don't want to do business with big brands anymore. They want to know that they're dealing with a person. And that's right. Even big brands, that's why they attach themselves now to influencers and um, yes. that's why all these YouTube stars are so popular because big brands yes. are using them. Once upon a time, big brands did spend millions on marketing. What they do now is they find a 16-year-old who's got 2 million followers on YouTube to do it for them because that personalizes the brand. And I think it's very important to, to understand that that's the way business is now. It's not like how it used to be. So you really have to find a way to get yourself out there if you want to build something up. That's an excellent point, Joanne, because yeah. at the Company of Women Conference um, this year, uh, one of the speakers was Molly Burke. Molly yeah. Burke is a YouTuber. She's in her early 20s and she's blind. And she um, is an incredibly amazing person. And the Dove um, soap people Dove, yeah. use her use her in a commercial. And I, I didn't realize that until after the conference and I was watching TV and I saw the Dove commercial come on and there was Molly. He was the girl that was the speaker. And, um, you know, and in the Dove commercial, she talks about how, lose, you know, she, she can't see, so she does everything by touch, you know, and the feel of the soap and that, you know. So here's, here is a company that is into soap products and lotions that yeah. hires a YouTuber um, who's blind to be a spokesperson for their product. It's exactly what you said. She has millions of views on YouTube. She's been written up all over the place. She's gone 
she's going or has gone to a, a huge YouTube uh, conference in California right now because she's an influencer. Absolutely. I mean, social media mm -hmm. has opened so many doors and given so many people vast opportunities. There's, mm -hmm. I really believe that there's, I, I'm not going to say that there's no excuses, but I would say there's no limitations. Now, we, yes. we, there's many different ways to be an entrepreneur. Uh, there's any, many different ways to start off as an entrepreneur. And it's, it's not just limited to, you know, a, a, um, a, uh, a brick and mortar shop and selling something tangible. The world has changed and things are so different now. So there, there's space for everybody. So absolutely. Um, you know, my daughter's entering entrepreneurship and, um, she's doing it in an entirely different way. Um, probably 10 years ago, nobody did this, but today there are millionaires doing it the way she's doing it. And it's a whole new tribe of people that are selling differently. Absolutely. And it's got nothing to do with bricks and mortar. It's all to do with how to sell um, on the internet. And there's whole tribes of people. There's courses on it, um, all kinds of different things. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, nobody knew even how to do this. So yeah. whole careers are starting or whole businesses or uh, entrepreneurship is starting in areas that didn't even exist. Like who knew what a software as a, as a service was 10 or 15 years ago? Nobody. And yet yeah. most of the startups are software as a service. Absolutely. Absolutely. So to wrap it up, I think it's fair to say that entrepreneurs um, come in all ages and sizes uh -huh. and ranges and someone like yourself who worked your way up to the top and really grasped really hard alongside being a wife and being a mom and all the other roles that women take on. You worked your way up. You became a, a high-flying CEO, as I like to call it, in a very, yeah. a, a very challenging industry, in a male-dominated industry as well. And you, you gained a lot of success there and then you shifted to the entrepreneurial space where you had to start all over again and you had to acquire new skills and you've, you've gained success there as well. So there is possibility, you know, you can, there is no reason why you can't climb to the top of the corporate ladder and then decide that you, you want to be an entrepreneur. There's no reason why you can't do that. Any, anybody can do it. It's just really up to you. And I guess yes. you've got to plan it. You've got to have a strategy uh -huh. and then just kind of jump right in and do it. That's right. And I think what you need the most of is grit. You need that grit and determination that no matter what, you will keep going. Yeah, you I think really, that's more important than anything else. You really got to believe in yourself because there's, mm -hmm. going, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to tell you that you can't do it. I mean, there are people that I told about Secret Birds and they were like, what in the world? But, you know, I just, I just believe as crazy as it sounds, I, I've got an idea and I'm going to do it, <laughs> you know? That's and, um, exactly right. That's exactly it. Yeah. You really have to be crazy enough to believe in your own idea. Cause if you mm -hmm. don't, if you don't, no one else will. I totally agree, Joanne. And you're a great example of that. And uh, there are many women that we both know that are examples of that all over the world. Yes, and you as well. And thank you so much for sharing with us today. Um, it's really good to, um, to hear from someone like yourself 
who who's just done a complete 360. I think it's quite an inspirational story. I think it's a motivator, even for someone who didn't become a CEO, but someone who's just working in a company mm-hmm. and and they know they want something different, but they're not sure how to go about doing it. You know, there's there's always mm-hmm. a way. So how how can people give us your details, Elaine? How can people find you? Um, what what exactly will you do for them? And I think you're giving a special um, discounted offer to the rare bird. So tell us a little bit about, about that as well. Okay, so you can find me at my website, XL, that's the letter X, the letter L, consultinggroup.com. And um, there's a contact form there. So um, I will receive that and uh, touch base with anybody who wants to find out more about the company there. Or if they're a female entrepreneur and they want to join the fabulous fempreneurship Facebook group mastermind, that's free for anybody to join. And um, we have 660 people all around the world in the mastermind at the moment. Yes. Um, if you, if anybody would like the discounted price on the digital version of uh, my book, which is called fabulous fempreneurship. Um, that's on the, fabfempreneurship.com website and you just put in the uh, code the coupon code rarebirds50 on the digital edition and you'll get 50% off the digital version of the book thank you and so then, much for that thank you so much i'm so grateful for that thank you for offering oh you're that. welcome and as you know you're a mentor for fabulous fempreneurship too we have a mentor portal which gives anybody who's starting a business three hours free of mentorship and you pick your own mentor from the 12 or 13 people that are mentors depending on what your need is and um they will give their services free for three hours either three hours in hourly stretches or six uh 30 minute stretches or whatever works and um how can you not do that i guess we mentioned earlier everybody needs an advisor a mentor, mentor and a sponsor and a sponsor so here yes. you go how there's no excuse if you're thinking of starting a business click on to poppempreneurship.com and find a mentor and learn the thing that you need to learn the most and that will get you start, kick started and then you can choose um to go somewhere else after that that's fine with all of us we're we're all doing this to give back to the younger community or to anybody in the female um, community that wants to start their own business because we know how hard it is ourselves. So we're willing to uh, help somebody else um, start up. Brilliant. No problem at all. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, Elaine, and to the Secret Birds community. As you know, we are here to empower, encourage, and support women and girls through entrepreneurship. We believe entrepreneurship is a tool for empowerment. And we hope that by listening to this podcast, we have somehow inspired you or encouraged you or empowered you. You empower yourself, but we hope that we've given you that extra sort of motivation to get out there and and to do something and like elaine said there's a lot of resources out there available through her community and she's kind enough to offer a discount and do reach out to her and um and make contact and if there was something in this podcast that you liked uh, please feel free to email me at j-o-a-n-n 
at secretbirdshq.com or you can uh, send me an email to mainbirdsecretbirds at gmail.com, whichever you prefer. All those details are on our website, www.secretbirdshq.com. So thank you so much and see you next time. Bye, Elaine. Bye, Joanne, and thank you so much for having me on your show. I really enjoyed it, and I hope, as you said, we've inspired some um, people to start their own business. So it would be wonderful. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much.